1985, a passenger boarded a train to find the carriage was covered with blood, but there was nobody around. An extensive search of the railway tracks later that night uncovered a horrific tragedy, and their main suspect was soon revealed to be a 15-year-old boy. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. Hey, just a really quick one. If you are a regular Red Rum listener or um, watcher, stay tuned to the end of the episode. There's a little surprise there that you might be interested in. Um, Other than that, let's get on with the show. Janet married Peter Maddox in 1978. Both were working as social workers, with Janet specialising in child abuse cases. Although the marriage started off well, the pair were often working from different areas and it began to put a strain on the relationship. In the December of 1980, when Janet was 30 years old, she and Peter were out together in the car when they got into an accident. The accident injured her back and she continued to have back problems for the following few years. In fact, five years later in 1985, Janet was continuing to have such bad back problems that she got an appointment with a specialist in Harley Street, London. By this point, she and Peter had decided to separate and live in different houses, and so she was living in her own flat in the Kings Heath district of Birmingham. Now, the pair still got on well, they didn't finish on bad terms by any means, and so they would still occasionally see each other, and they would always attend hospital appointments together when it came to things related to the car accident that they'd had all those years earlier. On Wednesday the 20th of March 1985, Janet boarded a train heading from Birmingham to London. She was wearing a burgundy rain jacket, a cream blouse, a tweed skirt and maroon tights. The train journey went smoothly and she arrived into London on time. She met Peter at Regent Park's tube station and the two started talking. They decided to head to their appointment together at half 11 and then they decided as they were already in London, they may as well make the most of it. And so they went to eat at a restaurant and eventually headed to a pub before going to the cinema. By the end of the night, Janet decided to get a taxi back to Euston Station where she would then go on to get a train and return home to Birmingham. Now we don't know exactly what happened after that, but reporting in the case file and the BTP journal outlines what most likely happened next. She arrived at Euston and caught the 9.02pm train up to Birmingham. Now this particular train was a slow one, it was stopping at every single station. Janet didn't know she could have just got a train a few minutes later and it was the speedy train, it would have gone there much faster. But she didn't know this and so boarded the 9.02 train and made her way towards Birmingham. The train arrived in Coventry which is just about 20 miles before Birmingham and it arrived there at 10 past 11. When the train stopped at Coventry, a man called Dennis Overton boarded the train and headed straight for the second carriage. But on entering, he saw that the floor of the carriage was covered in a large red stain. When he looked further, he saw that the red stain had started at the seats and ran all the way down the center aisle. There was a lot of the red stain and it really didn't take him long to realize that it was blood. There wasn't a whole lot that he could do at this point. The train had started moving and there was no one around that he could see. And so he had to wait for the train to get to the next station. After around 20 minutes, he pulled into the station and a man called Paul got onto the train and entered the same carriage and he could see the blood. There was no one around that was injured. And so he and Dennis spoke about what might have happened. And they did say that it was likely with that amount of blood that someone might have been murdered. By the time the train finally arrived at Birmingham New Street, the two men had managed to alert the police. And so when the train pulled in and stopped, 
the doors opened and the police rushed on straight away into that carriage. The two men were questioned, as were the driver and the guard of the train, but no one had seen anything that could help them out, and no one knew who the injured person was, or where they were at, or if they were even still alive. A police officer was given the task of boarding a train at Birmingham, it was quarter past midnight that it was leaving, and that train was going all the way down to London, and that police officer's job was to look out and see if there was anything suspicious, and if they could see anything on the tracks, or near the tracks. About 60 miles into the journey, the police officer came across a horrific scene. The body of a young woman who was lifeless was lying on the tracks around three miles away from Northampton Castle Station. The officer noted that this woman was dead and covered in blood and that her pants and tights were around her ankles. The investigating officer called in backup and they secured the scene and alongside the body just a few meters away either side and along the track further on they found a number of pieces of different evidence they found a bloody handbag they found a bloody woolen glove and a red bead it proved quite difficult at first to identify who the woman was she didn't have any identification on her at that time but inside the handbag they did find a small picture it was a photograph who they presumed was the woman and so they circulated that to all the media and the press and this was quite a big deal this went out front page on a lot of newspapers and was on the tv so people were getting to know this and as well as that there were posters plastered all around local uh, train stations now it wasn't long before janet's dad and peter came in to the police station and they eventually did identify janet's body the handbag found near to janet's body had no money in it and that in itself was a clue. Peter told officers that when he'd been with Janet just a few hours before her murder, he and she had spoken about how she was going to get back to Euston Station and she said she was going to get a taxi, looked inside her bag and realised that she had £15 in cash that she could pay with the taxi for. Now the taxi wouldn't cost anywhere near as much as that and so there should still be some money left but as we know the handbag was empty. Now on top of this two of her rings were missing. One of those was her grandmother's ring that she used to wear and she wore that since she was a kid and the other one was her wedding ring now the fact that these two were missing just added to the possible motive of the crime being because of a robbery the evidence on the tracks didn't stop there though and police officers found that for miles and miles there were various items of janet's that had been thrown out of clearly a moving train and so they were dispersed all the way down the track. The medical examiner determined that Janet had died from stab wounds and hemorrhaging and that she was likely stabbed and then thrown off the train and it wasn't clear whether she was alive or dead when she was thrown off of it. This next part is pretty graphic so skip around 60 seconds forward if you'd rather not hear it. A post-mortem examination found that Janet sustained a stab wound to the left side of her neck which went through the internal jugular vein and on through the third cervical vertebrae and it was at a depth of three inches. The stab wound was so deep that it had gone through the spinal cord and reached the spinal canal, which resulted in extensive hemorrhaging. There was also stab wounds to her groin area, one of which was about four inches deep. The post-mortem examination revealed that Janet had various defensive wounds on her, suggesting that she put up quite a fight. And they also found that because of the extent of her injuries, Janet would have likely been paralysed by the time she was thrown off of that train. Now, the police found a lot of actual evidence on and around the body of the train. They found palm prints on one of the carriage doors, and they found blood stains on the windows, and 
there were shoe prints that pointed to a size eight baseball shoe. The shoe print was found to be a baseball boot. The actual print had been in blood and they quickly identified that the shoe itself had been made in either Hong Kong or Korea. And even more telling than that, the left shoe impression had a slight more weight to it, meaning that the person, the perpetrator, who had been wearing those shoes and who had been walking through the blood was someone that had a limp or an injury that meant that he walked with more weight on one side than the other. As part of the investigation, there were a number of public appeals that the police did. One witness who came forward was a British rail employee, Anthony Denton. Now he said that he had been on that train and he was sat in the second carriage, which was the carriage that Janet was sat in and ultimately the carriage that she was stabbed in. And he said that when he was on the train, it was just her, there was no one else around. Now he did get off the train at Bletchley, which is around 23 miles before Northampton, which is where she was found. But he said he didn't see anything suspicious Witnesses reported seeing a suspicious looking man getting on the train at Milton Keynes station and they said that this same man got off the train at Rugby. For context, Northampton station, where Janet was found, is smack bang in the middle of those two stations. The suspicious man was described as a younger person, that he was five foot six inches roughly, and that he had mousy brown hair that was quite long and it had streaks in it, down to about shoulder length hair. These witness accounts also said that the man was wearing a jacket jacket and some old-fashioned flares and some baseball boots and on top of that they said that he was walking with a walking stick which if you'll remember the bloody shoe imprint pressions pointed to someone that would have a limp. As part of their investigation, the police gathered all 3,000 railway tickets that were used on that night and had been handed in at the other ticket stations. Now, when they took those 3,000 tickets in, they spent five hours looking through them until they came across a blood-stained ticket. They traced that ticket number and found that it was issued to Glasgow Social Services and they informed police that they had given it to a young boy, a 15-year-old boy called Jack Roy. Now, Jack had been in Milton Keynes just two days before the murder, and he was in Milton Keynes because he was attending court on burglary charges. Now, when police came to see Jack, he told them that he wanted to help in any way he could. Jack Roy was born in Glasgow in 1969 and his mum had left the family home when he was just one year old. When she got married again, he went to live with her and his now new stepdad. By 1979, so Jack was 10 at this point, he'd already started stealing and he'd gotten supervision orders for disorderly behaviour and breaches of the peace. In 1982, Jack was placed into an assessment centre where he escaped and then a little while later, he committed a violent robbery and was taken back to a secure accommodation. He was eventually captured again and taken back to another secure accommodation, but in the time he'd been out, he had committed another violent attack, this time on a 67-year-old woman. Now, this all happened just two months before the attack on Janet. Jack had gotten to Milton Keynes Station at 9.15pm on the night of Janet's murder, and he'd gone straight to the left luggage lockers. He got a cassette player out of those lockers and then he sat and waited for his train. After that, he boarded the train headed for Birmingham, which is the same one that Janet was on. As he was getting on, he asked a man if the train was going to rugby and then he struggled to actually get himself onto the train with his hands because he couldn't bring his leg up on its own. And then fast forward to 10.50pm, so at this point Janet 
has been thrown off of that train and the next witness account puts Jack at Rugby Station. Jack asked a railway worker when the next train to Glasgow was. He got that answer and then he went to the waiting room and that's when a witness, Scott Bryce, says that he saw blood on Jack's trousers. Scott and Jack started talking and that's when they realised that they were both going to Glasgow on the same train and so when the train pulled in they both boarded it together. Scott gave Jack £10 and asked him to go and get some sandwiches and some beers and Jack did and then came back and sat with him and it was at this point that Jack was just getting his sandwich out of the packet when Scott noticed on his wrist there was some blood and he actually asked Jack what that blood was from and Jack said straight away that it was just from him having fallen through a window and hurting himself and then Jack went on to show Scott that he also had blood on his trousers. Jack arrived home to Rosneath Street at 7.30am on the 21st of March. His dad, also called Jack, was staying there with a woman called Joanna. Joanna noticed the blood on Jack, she could see it all over his neck and his clothes, and he had some cuts and bruises to his wrists and arms, and so she asked him what had gone on, and he proceeded to tell her that he had got jumped or attacked by three Pakistani men in London. And she said that she didn't believe him and the amount of blood that was on him, she said she wouldn't be surprised if he had murdered someone. When Jack's dad woke up, he asked him what had happened and Jack proceeded to say that he had been in a knife attack in London. Some guys had had a knife and he'd gotten into a fight because they tried to steal his cassette player off of him. Now, Joanna was so freaked out by the amount of blood that was on Jack that she asked him and his dad to leave her house. And so they did and they went back to Jack's dad's house. After that, Jack went to hang out with one of his friends and they went to an arcade where Jack used a £10 note and he gave that to the cashier. Now that friend that he was with had been with Jack just a few days earlier and knew that Jack only had £6 on him so he didn't know how he'd gotten a £10 note now. And on top of that, the cashier would later say that that £10 note that Jack had given her had blood on it. Now, when police were questioning Jack, he was quick to admit that yes, he had been on the Birmingham train and yes, he'd been travelling back to Glasgow that night and that he had a limp and used a walking stick for it. He told police that he had actually been travelling in the same carriage as Janet, but he said he wasn't alone. There were two other men there who he described as not white and he said that those two men had gotten up in Janet's face and they'd started talking to her and he could tell that Janet didn't want to talk to them, she didn't want to be bothered and so he went up to try and defend her but as he did that, one of the two men knocked him over the head and he passed out and when he came to a little bit later, he was alone in the carriage. But almost as soon as he had finished telling that story, he started crying and he told the officers that he hadn't been truthful. And actually what had happened was that Janet had thrown herself off of the train. Now, after that, a new detective was asked to come in and question Jack. And during their conversation, Jack broke down again. And this time he admitted that he had stabbed Janet and he said that it was in a robbery gone wrong. He said he hadn't meant to kill her. He hadn't even wanted to stab her. But what had happened was that after he'd stabbed her, he became so worried that he had gone to the bathroom to clean off as much blood as he could. But obviously hadn't done a very good job and then he'd gone back into the carriage, dragged Janet's body towards the door and eventually thrown her off of the train. 
He told the police that he didn't even get any money off of her, that she didn't have any on her. And he also said that he had stolen the two rings off of her, but he'd got worried when he was waiting at the next station and so just threw them onto the tracks. And despite extensive searches, those rings have never been found. He also denied having removed Janet's uh, tights and pants. Just before Jack was taken into custody, the police took some of his things for evidence. And these included clothes, shoes, his walking stick, a cassette player, and a bone-handled lock knife. The forensic evidence showed that in one of the tread marks on Jack's shoe, there was a little pebble there, and that matched the shoe print that was in the blood at the scene of the crime, leaving no doubt that it was Jack in his shoes at that crime scene. The evidence showed that Jack had dragged Janet's body towards the door of the train, which he'd opened and thrown her out, and it's not known if at this point she was alive or dead. Jack pleaded not guilty and so the case went to Birmingham Crown Court. But Jack was found guilty and the judge commented that Jack was a danger to women and that he was evil and callous. Quote, The first blow reduced her to a rag doll and she was paralysed and unable to offer any further resistance. And then you lowered her clothing and deliberately attacked her private parts. Jack was eventually transferred from an English prison to Dumfries Young Offenders Institute so that he could be closer to his family in Glasgow. But, as is a bit of a theme when it comes to Jack, in 1989 he actually managed to escape prison although he was found just over a week later and brought back. In 2005, at the age of just 36, Jack was released from prison. His release terms were that he would be under social worker supervision for the rest of his life, and that if he broke any of his terms, he would be taken straight back to prison. And just a year after his release, Jack actually ran away from where he was living, and this was a break in his release terms, and so a manhunt was launched. Quote, As Jack Roy is now considered a high risk to members of the public, particularly lone females, we're requesting that anyone with knowledge of his whereabouts does not approach him, but contact Lothian and Borders Police. It took them about a month, but thanks to an anonymous tip-off, Jack was located in Edinburgh and sent back to prison for a year. He was released, but then in 2008, police found a small amount of heroin on him and then Jack was strip searched and his house was searched and police found over £1,000 worth of heroin at his house and that meant that he was going back to prison for a long time. Jack's defence presented the argument that he was just dealing drugs short term so that he could afford a ring for his fiancée but it didn't matter, he was sent to prison and is now serving the rest of his life sentence. Because this case is quite old, there's not a huge amount of resources available, so there's not a lot of information on the victim. I'm sorry for not being able to get the level of detail that I'd usually outline regarding the victim. Thank you to Mark Wilson for your suggestion for this episode. I really appreciate it. There's a brilliant article on this whole case, which I basically have just retold. It is an amazing resource, Um, so I'll link that in the show notes below, along with all the other sources. Other than that... I hope you enjoyed. If you did, please click the thumbs up button. I would really appreciate it. Um, And I will see you next week for another episode of Red Rum. Also, I have been working on some merchandise. I have been working on some prototypes of some stuff. Um, And I actually got t-shirts and uh, 
t-shirts i got a t-shirt a jumper a tote bag and a cap um, but i'm not super happy with the finish on the other products i really love this i just wore this out today um so i definitely am going to be putting this available to buy if you'd like it and i'm going to work on the pro other prototypes so if i'm ever happy with them i'll let you know other than that i'll see you next week bye